Hello to my listeners. This is Pastor Randy Starkey. I did these teachings on the end times and the return of Christ in several series several years ago when I was pastoring at Victory Church in Peavely, Missouri. One third of the Bible is prophecy, so we really need to be familiar with it, especially as it relates to our soon coming future. Although a few of my comments in some of these messages may be a bit dated, and a few of my ideas are still developing, the truth of God's Word never changes. And there are at least three things that I remain strongly convinced of. All three of these I will touch on in these messages. So number one is this. The prophecies concerning the first coming of Christ were fulfilled literally in real life and in real time. So I have no doubt the prophecies concerning the end times and the second coming of Christ will be fulfilled in exactly the same way in real life and in real time as the Bible describes. I believe it is a huge mistake to spiritualize away end time prophecy. The books of Daniel and Revelation are for sure filled with symbolism, but those symbols represent real events that are going to happen in real time. And it's all getting closer. And number two, I believe God's people will be raptured, caught up to be with the Lord before God's wrath is poured out on the terrible sin and evil in our world. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says Jesus delivers us, not just protects us, delivers us from God's wrath to come. However, I don't believe that will exempt us from Satan's wrath and persecution of true believers and the revealing of Antichrist before the rapture happens. That persecution and pressure we are actually beginning to see happen even now. That is why Jesus said things like we must endure to the end, be ready, watch and pray, don't be deceived, and that we must be about our Father's business and not draw back. And then finally, number three is this. God is not done with Israel. Jesus was Jewish. God loves the Jewish people and the land of Israel. When Jesus returns, that's actually where he's going to land, on the Mount of Olives. There's much to say about Israel and the Middle East, and all of that is coming very fast. And so, I, as I said, I will cover all three of these points in these messages. And these are things that we need not be afraid of when we have surrendered our heart and life to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we're walking close to Him. We have His direction, His guidance, His love, His grace, His power. And the Bible even says, look up for your redemption draws nigh. However, in these days, we all need to be walking really close to Jesus. And let me say a word to any of you listening today that maybe you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. 
Maybe you've even been hurt in church, or maybe it's been all religion to you. Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And Jesus wants you to know him. He is the only way to have your sins forgiven. He is the only way that you can get to heaven. None of us can be good enough on our own. He is the only way to really experience victory in your life and be prepared for eternity. He left heaven, came to earth, gave his life on the cross for you, shed his blood for you that you could be saved and be forgiven. The Bible says there's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. He's the true Savior. So I pray you will open your heart to him, receive him as your Lord and Savior. Allow him to forgive your sins so that you can be ready when he returns. It's really not a pretty picture and there is much to be afraid of because God is God and sin must be dealt with. And so without Jesus, we really are in a world of hurt. So open your heart to him today. Hey, a good way to find out more about that, just go over to our church, Victory Church here in Peavely. And uh, uh, they have an awesome, uh, Pastors Dan and Paige Lord are doing a great job. There's an awesome little book there you can pick up free called Fresh Start. It will give you everything that you need to get you going on your walk with Jesus. So all of this is why we must not only be saved, but be spiritually strong, awake, alert, and serving God. That's why I did these teachings. We have to stay strong in Jesus to know what's coming soon in the end times. And like Noah built the ark to the saving of his household, we must stay close to Jesus in the building of his church because the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And that is our forever family. So listen carefully and then check it all out in the Bible for yourself. God's love and blessings to each of you as you dive into these teachings. Amen. So we are glad you are here with us tonight. And this is a uh, study on the book of Revelation. And I really believe that this is a uh, key book to be looking at right now because... Uh, I think one of the questions I asked last time is how many of you just feel down in your spirit like we're getting closer to the coming of the Lord and kind of everybody kind of goes like this, you know, and I think that's, that's uh, one of those things that the whole church is feeling, those that are, you know, in tune with the Lord. So I think we're in a, in a great time to be studying this book. And so, uh, let's just pray tonight. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, I'm Pastor Randy here at Victory and we're glad you, glad you're here tonight and, and uh, I know you wouldn't you wouldn't be here if you weren't interested in some things of the Lord and His Word. So anyway, let's pray together, all right? Father, thank you for this night. I do pray, Lord, that your refreshing will just be upon each of us tonight, Lord. I know we're at the end of a day, but Father, I thank you that your Holy Spirit can refresh and quicken our bodies and our minds, Lord. And so I just pray for your presence, Lord, to just flood over us tonight. And uh, give us, as it says in the book of Revelation, give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And Lord, I pray that revelation and understanding will be opened up to our hearts, that we might be able to serve you better, and we might be able to help others that need to know you. And Lord, we might be prepared 
for the days ahead. We'll just thank you for it. Give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. All right. So if you would grab your uh, sheet there for week two. And uh, this is a little two-point review of week one. We talked about John's vision of Jesus in chapter one. And this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is not an apostle. John is the, the uh, how would I say it? He is the one who's, who uh, wrote this all down. But this book is unique, uh, and it's probably the closest to the Gospels. And in, in the Gospels, we have the actual words of Christ. In this book, we again have the actual words of Christ uh, because it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. God gave it to him. He gave it to the angel to bring to John. And uh, so uh, this is a, a little different from the other epistles in the New Testament, and it's, it's really closest to the Gospels because it really contains the words of Christ. And so we saw the vision of Jesus there in, in uh, chapter 1. We said we learned two things from that. We see Jesus is very different uh, in that vision related to his second coming than he was for his first coming. He is now coming as judge of the whole earth, and that makes the whole book of Revelation a little more intense, a little more exciting, a little more interesting, maybe even a little more scary. But uh, when we're right with the Lord, we don't have to worry about that. All right. So then we also saw Jesus is very majestic and awesome. And we made a point that a study of this whole prophecy, this whole book, uh, is not just about what will happen, not just developing a chart, but it's about being captivated with Christ and coming to know him better. That's why the book says you'll be blessed if you read it. Because it just automatically, if you have an open heart, will pull you closer to him. Then we saw that the seven churches, that's a very interesting two chapters in the book, the seven churches in chapters two and three, they are real churches, but they are also prophetic of the last day's churches. I mean, if you think about it, if this is a book of prophecy, why would God put seven letters to seven churches if it wasn't related to the prophecy in some way? You know, so there's overarching prophetic things we can learn from those seven churches that will help us actually that could be living in that very time of the end times be ready so there's tremendous lessons in those seven churches so i encourage you to study those we just looked at two of them last time basically three categories of churches there um which i really didn't get time to get into last time but dead compromising and faithful that's about the three categories you can lump churches in today dead churches compromising churches and then faithful churches and we notice that promises are to overcomers, um, indicating there will be challenges to typo there, our, oh, you are. There will be challenges to our faith in the last days. I mean, how can you be an overcomer if you don't have something to overcome? Right? So if we were, if there were, if, if the last days was just going to be something where we're going to be scooted out of here and we're not even going to be around for any of it or there's not going to be any challenges, what would be the point? What would be the point? in Jesus talking about seven churches and telling us we need to be overcomers. What would be the point, you know, and even even um, uh, telling us, you know, that uh, we need to watch and be ready and be prepared if there was nothing to be prepared for? And uh, so anyway, uh, just just something to think about. Now, let's jump into week two. And, and I want to continue to lay a little, a few more, cause, uh, a little more groundwork here as we get into the book so we all kind of are on the same page and uh, seeking to understand, you know, the scriptures here. Now, here's some important principles for understanding the Bible, especially the end times. Uh, these are principles that all good Christian uh, conservative Bible scholars would all adhere to, and uh, they don't always get practiced, 
But uh, they are really very important principles. And number one is that all Scripture, first of all, should be understood in its literal sense. Uh, oftentimes, if the plain sense makes sense, it's the right sense. Okay? You don't want, you know, if we just say, well, we don't really know what that means. You know, and pretty soon you get into this mystical, spiritual, allegorical. And I know some people, you can just get to the point where you can make the Bible say anything you want to because you just spiritualize it away, you know. Now, we said last week there is a lot of symbolism in the book of Revelation, but the symbols are symbols of real things, okay? So anytime you have Scripture, you should always take it in its literal sense unless it's an obvious figure of speech or unless there is very, very, very good reason not to take it in its literal sense. And, and one of the things I'll show you tonight is that all the prophecies of the first coming of Christ were literally, specifically, numerically, in reality, fulfilled down to the very year. Now, if that happened on the first coming, why shouldn't we expect it to happen on the second coming? You know, why should all of a sudden the second coming become this spiritual thing where we gotta, where we gotta just reach out somewhere in the sky to figure it out, you know? And it becomes this allegorical, mystical thing, you know. I, I just think, I just think it's, uh, it's just missing the whole point, you know. And so, uh, we talked a little bit last week about the, the, particularly the amillennial view kind of really gets into that. You have to really spiritualize a lot of things. And I just think it gets away from the plain sense of scripture. You know, it makes the Bible a whole lot more exciting if you know it really means what it says. <laughs> That's just, you know, okay. All right. Two. All Scripture must be taken in context. That means we have to look at the verses before it, the verses after it. We have to look at the whole panorama of even the book of the Bible that that verse is in, who, they're writing, who the writer is writing to. Uh, even How many of you know Paul, Peter, and John all have different styles of writing? You know, and so you, you kind of got to get to know them. You know, and so you have to take verses in context and not just some people try to try to um, jerk verses out of context without any relationship to the context of the verse or the book of the Bible that it's in. And they try to make proof texts. You know, uh, somebody said one time a proof text out of context is a pretext. <laughs> so in other words, it means nothing. <laughs> Sorry. Now, number three, to understand the meaning of Scripture, we must compare Scripture with Scripture. Scripture is its best own interpreter. If you look at a passage and you go, wow, man, I wonder what that really means, you know? Well, we do, again, we just don't reach out for pie in the sky. We know God has given us His Word. His Word is reliable. His Word is, is accurate. So we look at other passages that help explain the passage that we're trying to figure out. And uh, really, any understanding of the end times should harmonize all the Scriptures. We may not be able to figure out every last little minute detail. That probably God doesn't intend us to. But all, as we look at the panorama of what's going to happen in the end times, all the scriptures should harmonize together. And so if you take one scripture, one particular scripture, and you, and you think that means one certain thing, but three other scriptures contradict your theory, guess what? You're wrong. <laughs> so, you know, and, and we have to be really careful not to bring our own preconceived ideas to the table. We're not to sit in judgment on the scripture. The scriptures just sit in judgment on us. Okay. Let the scripture speak to us, you know. So those are three really important points. And because, uh, people have their favorite doctrine, doctrines and their, their favorite outlooks, you know. And I'll be honest with you, it is very dangerous, very dangerous to not allow the Holy Spirit and not allow scripture to speak to you. Be, look what happened with the Jewish people when Christ came. They totally 
rejected their Messiah because of their wrong thinking on the Scripture. Danger of traditionalism. Uh, take a look, for instance, I'll just be really honest here, and this is on tape, but that's okay because it's really true. But take a look at the condition that the Catholic Church had fallen into in the days of Martin Luther. Total corruption. Total um, financial uh, immorality, indulgences, selling people forgiveness of sins to make money, you know. And Martin Luther comes along and he nails his 95 theses to the door and it was the beginning of a renewal in the church, you know, to where even now today the Catholic Church encourages their people to read the Bible. You know, they didn't do that back then. And so, uh, so there, and, it, and if people weren't open to that, you know, they were missing out on what God was doing in that day. So there's real danger. But it's when, you, when you've been kind of in a certain mode, you know, uh, or I'll bet some of you, how many of you ever were taught in your life that uh, when you got saved, you got it all and you didn't need any more of the Holy Spirit? And all of a sudden you discovered there was a little more than you thought, right? You know, so we just have to, the whole idea is allow the Word of God, you know, and God's Spirit to speak to us. Okay, now one other point here I want to make is that prophecy often has a near and far fulfillment, kind of like an example. And uh, we'll, we'll see this uh, in different places as we look at, look at end-time prophecy. Um, one example, looking into the past, would be Isaiah 14 uh, with the king of Tyre when the Lord was saying, t- telling the king of Tyre how bad he was, you know, and he was going to be judged and all that. And all of a sudden he goes, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Well, guess what? The king of Tyre was never in Eden. But who was in Eden? Satan, who was the one who was empowering that king. So the Lord looked right past him into eternity past and started prophesying and speaking about Satan. And uh, we'll see, like in the book of Daniel, there is some things there where actual literal rulers um, had kind of a spirit of Antichrist. There, there have been many forerunners to Antichrist. Hitler was a forerunner. Uh, but Antiochus Epiphanes was one of the... Those of you that were in my Daniel class, you remember that guy. In the, and you can actually read about him. It's not scripture, but it's good historical Jewish literature is the book of Maccabees, First and Second Maccabees. Um, excellent stuff to read about history. It's not scripture. It's part of what they call the Apocrypha. But historically, there's, there's a lot of accuracy in it. But anyway, he was a bad guy who uh, slaughtered a pig on the uh, altar, you know, in the Jewish temple. And he was like a forerunner of the coming Antichrist. And so the Lord often takes a near fulfillment, uses it as an example, and then, then we'll prophesy off into the future where um, it's kind of like this way. The Lord will take things that are happening in our arena and he'll look to the beginning or he'll look to the end. And uh, we'll see that, you know, in the book of Daniel. So it's kind of like I gave you the illustration last week of the mountains. When you look across the mountains, you can kind of see mountaintops. You see the peaks, but you don't see the valleys. And uh, so we'll talk about that here in just a minute, especially with Daniel's 70th week, because that's a key thing that Jesus picks up on in Matthew 24, and then it goes into the book of Revelation. All right. Now, here's some key terms and concepts used in Revelation and other end-time passages that we need to define. And I'm not going to define all these this week, but uh, we're going to be touching on these week by week as we go on. All right. Number one is the millennium, God's kingdom on earth. I think I will just touch a little bit on a couple of these just to to get us going. (laughs) I can't resist, you know. So, and we said last time, you know, okay, here's the cross. Here's the Old Testament. And here is the New Testament. We're going to keep this real simple for now. Here's the coming of the second coming. Okay, and here is uh, uh, the millennium. 
And basically, what we said last week is that this will be a literal 1,000 years of uh, God's kingdom on earth before we go out here to the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, Okay, and the Bible only tells us just a little bit about this, you know, because it's future. Uh, But anyway, if you follow the literal interpretation of Scripture, you have to understand God made a lot of promises to Israel in the Old Testament. I mean, all kinds of promises to Israel. And the thing is, they have not been literally fulfilled yet. You know, they've experienced some fulfillment of it, but uh, they haven't been literally fulfilled. Well, some people try to say, well, you know, that all belongs to the church now. Well, that's pretty bold to say that. Where does God say that? I can't find that he says it anywhere, you know. Now, obviously the church is going to be included in the kingdom because, you know, uh, we've come along to that point. But uh, God's promise to the Jewish people that they're going to have their land has not been fully fulfilled. But I'll tell you what, it's going to be fully fulfilled. Because when Christ comes back, he's not going to reign from New York. He is not going to reign from the United Nations. He is going to reign from Jerusalem on Mount Zion, and the Jewish people are going to get their land, you know. And it's just God's just promised it to him, you know. I mean, who wants to fight God? <laughs> you know, let's just say, well, God, I think I could, you're a good God. You love me. You probably got a good plan for my life, but I'm not going to mess with their plan, you know. <laughs> that was Lucifer's problem. You know, he got jealous over us. But anyway, so all these promises back here, you know, I believe, are going to be literally fulfilled, you know, to the Jewish people right here. And, of course, the church is included in that too. And uh, But this, this millennial kingdom will literally be Christ reigning on the earth. And all the passages that talk about that, that uh, he will reign on the earth. I mean, if it doesn't mean that he's going to come and reign on the earth, what does it mean? <laughs> See how you can get in trouble if you start spiritualizing stuff away. So there will be. If we're going to take the Scriptures literally, there will be a literal kingdom on earth, you know, and uh, uh, the Lord will rule. And then, of course, there's who, who knows what else He's got exciting for us from there, you know. But uh, there, there, God, God will reclaim His kingdom on earth because uh, you and I lost it when mankind sinned and uh, we gave it over to Satan. And, of course, God, God began His plan right away, you know, to restore the earth to His blessing. And part of that plan is Israel. So the second thing there, Israel and God's promises, we just have to understand God just chose the nation of Israel. And he chose Jesus to come out of that nation. Uh, why did he do it that way? I don't have the foggiest idea, <laughs> you know. But that's the way he did it. He just chose them as, as a nation that he was going to use to demonstrate his glory. And, uh, but, how, you know, with, with great, great blessing goes great responsibility and now, Daniel's 70th week, this is where Israel really got in trouble. And if you have your Bible with you, turn, if you would, to Daniel chapter 7. We will get to Revelation, but i got to lay a foundation here or it just doesn't make any sense. Okay, Daniel chapter 7. Uh, this is... We're going to look at Daniel chapter 7 and we're going to look at Daniel chapter 9. And in Daniel chapter 7... Uh, this is the prophecy about the beasts. And if you want to come up and look at this whole prophecy in Daniel 7, it's kind of laid out here on this chart. But I want to pick it up in verse um, 7. And uh, this is the, this is the uh, 
prophecy of the fourth beast, which is the final Gentile kingdom. And here's the thing you've got to understand. Every Gentile kingdom has always persecuted Israel. They always have. Well, why is that? Because they haven't known the Lord. And when you don't know the Lord, you tend to be under the power of Satan. And Satan hates any plan of God. So they've all, the, every Gentile nation has persecuted Israel. And Antichrist will persecute Israel too. And so, uh, you know, how many of you know as Christians we should love Israel and pray for them? Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the uh, Jewish people to get saved, you know. And, um, I mean, they have to get saved the same way we do through Christ, but they are still God's chosen people in a natural sense as a nation. God chose them to, to manifest His glory and to bring the Savior into the world. Now, uh, if we, uh, let's take a look here. And uh, in verse 7 it says, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with, with its feet. It's, this is the, we're talking now about the kingdom of Antichrist, the final Gentile kingdom. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, in other words, you know, Antichrist is going to be a little inconspicuous at first. A little one coming up among them before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. I watched till thrones were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. Does that sound familiar? We read about that in chapter 1 of Revelation, didn't we? His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. I mean, folks, this is not a quiet little mamby-pamby um, Marvin Milktoast religion, is it? <laughs> There's some definite power and authority flowing here. And, uh, you know, we're in this kind of judgment sense of the last days. Uh, now it's the grace time. Everybody possible, we want to get saved. A fiery stream issue came forth from before. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. We're going to see that in just a minute in the book of Revelation. The court was seated and the books were open. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. So that's a picture there of Antichrist's kingdom. Now turn over to Daniel chapter 9. And, uh, and I just want you to see there how that kingdom persecuted Israel. And every Gentile kingdom up to this point has, uh, has stood against God's plan. And that's because Satan didn't want the Savior to come and didn't want uh, Israel to be redeemed, didn't want you and I to be redeemed, and uh, didn't want to see the earth come back under the uh, uh, rule of the Lord. Uh, and so he did everything he could. We, we already, I talked a little bit about how I believe in, in Noah's day where the angels began to manifest uh, as people, you know, to try to corrupt humankind to keep the Savior from coming. We know what happened when Jesus came. Satan tried to destroy him. What did he do? He killed all the babies under two years old. Uh, I think he was trying to get at Jesus, don't you? <laughs> you know, and so now he tries to get at the church. He's going to continue to try to get at Israel. He's going to do everything he can to try to stop the plan of God from being fulfilled. And um, we're going to see the scroll with seven seals is the fulfilling of the plan of God. And that thing is going to be opened. And Jesus is going to open it. And so, because he's paid the price. <laughs> but it's all in God's time. Okay, we're going to get there. That's where we're going tonight. 
All right, now, um, so where was I? I'm in Daniel chapter 9. I've got to figure out what verse I want to pick it up in. All right, let's pick it up in verse 24. This is a vision that Gabriel was giving to Daniel. Daniel was seeking God. Look at verse 20. He says, Now while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for, for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, it's interesting he calls him a man. That's because he was manifesting like a man. He's an angel, obviously. But he he manifested as a man. So that whole thing of Genesis 6 is not so weird, is it? All right. Whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, uh, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I like verse 22. He informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. You ought to underline that. Skill to understand. Christians in our day need skill to understand what's going on in our world today and what's going to happen. All right. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Seventy weeks, or literally in the Hebrew, seventy-sevens. It's not a week. We think of a week as seven days. The Hebrew word is seven. The word seven in different Hebrew prophecies can represent days or weeks or years. In this case, the sevens represent seven years. Okay, so 77s or 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. Now watch this now. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity. Now watch this. To bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Now when the, when the most holy is anointed, that's talking about the rule of Christ once again on the earth. So it says he's going to do all this. He's going to end, end, he's going to end transgression. He's going to make an end of sins. He's going to bring in everlasting righteousness. He's going to seal up vision and prophecy. That means it's, it's all going to be over. It's going to be done, you know, and to anoint the most holy. So 77s or 70 weeks of years or 490 years, okay, is what the prophecy says. Verse 25, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. In other words, 69 weeks. The street shall be rebuilt again and the wall even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. He did it for you and me, see? You know? And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. That happened in AD 70. Titus of Rome destroyed Jerusalem. Jesus told them it was going to happen if they didn't repent, if they didn't receive him. Well, they didn't listen, you know? And so it, it was prophesied anyway they wouldn't listen. It wasn't predestined. It was just the Lord knew they wouldn't listen. The ones that didn't listen, didn't pay attention to this prophecy anyway. Okay, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. And so the desolations are determined describes all this time, A.D. 70, all the way up to 1948, desolations were determined. In other words, the Jews were literally scattered across the Gentile world for almost 2,000 years. Whew, that's a pretty heavy price to pay, isn't it? 
They're still God's chosen nation. But that's a pretty heavy price to pay. And, the, and actually, you, you go back and read in the book of Deuteronomy, that's exactly what the Lord said. He said, you forsake me and you don't follow me, you're going to end up scattered all over the earth. And it happened. It just happened exactly. So what happened, now here's what's, if you take a look at your notes, look at the, uh, look at the uh, next sheet. It actually gives you a picture of this. There's exactly from the time, and you know, it says in the prophecy of Daniel there, it said from the time of the going forth of the, of the decree to rebuild Jerusalem, that was exactly in 445 B.C. All right? Now, to add up these years in our calendar, you have to understand a Jewish year was 360 days, so the number of years looks slightly different. But if you, if you go 360-day years, it works out exactly. So from 445 B.C. until... Christ is cut off, which meant He gave His life for us, okay, which we just read, and Jerusalem began to be rebuilt there in Nehemiah 2.5. It was exactly 483 Jewish years of 360 days. Exactly. Exactly. Now, if God did that in the first coming, why should we not think there's going to be a literal Daniel's 70th week of seven years? You know, I mean, let's just... It might stretch your faith. It might blow your mind. But if all of this has already happened, if we're smart, we just have to say, hey, I need to get my faith and my vision out there and realize Daniel's 70th week is going to happen. It's going to happen. Okay? So, and then we have in 1967, we know that Israel got back Jerusalem. And actually, Daniel's 70th week could never even begin to happen until these two things had happened. Well, guess what? Now that these two things have happened, how many of you think we just might be getting a little closer? <laughs> and really, there's only just a few things left that have to fall into place, and it could happen very quickly. And so I'll just say it this way. It's very possible. I'm not saying it is going to happen because, you know, we shouldn't be setting dates. But it's very possible that Daniel's 70th week, we could enter it in our lifetime. That's very possible, Okay which would then put us in our generation, we'd be here for the coming of the Lord, you know. Uh, so, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a definite possibility. And even if it doesn't happen, how many of you know we have a responsibility to prepare our kids and their generations to be ready? So, either way, you know, we need to be paying attention. And so, um, this is what's called there, if you look at that chart, the diaspora, and that was the result of Israel rejecting her Messiah. And so the 69th week stopped here at the cross and the 70th week hasn't taken place yet. And all that time, this is, this is an example of how God just sometimes, you know, with him, a, uh, with the Lord, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. So this is just a minor little interruption in his prophetic time clock, you know. But it was, it's, it's, it's a beautiful interruption. And it's very sad what happened to Israel. But you and I that are Gentiles, we really got the benefit of it, didn't we? And see, God is always like that. He will always take something bad and he'll turn it around and use it for good. And so all this time during these desolations is called the times of the Gentiles. And what, what that, that, that's not relating to these world kingdoms. This is a different thing. Times of the Gentiles and this is for our salvation. And then the Lord turns around and uses it again. We don't have time to go there, but go and refresh yourself and read Romans 11 again. Those of you that were in my Romans class, we touched on that, about how God is using what He's doing in us, 
how God is using what he's doing in the church to make Israel jealous for more of his presence and power. Isn't God amazing? Paul, at the end of Romans chapter 9 or 11, I forget, he said, oh, the depths of the wisdom and the knowledge of God and how you can't figure him out. (laughs) It's awesome, you know. So uh, anyway, we have... This whole situation here of when the times of the Gentiles come to an end is when we enter into Daniel's 70th week, which I'm going to have to, let me move my arrow a little bit here. (laughs) He'll come straight down. He won't be crooked like that. So anyway, somewhere in here we have the 70th week. All right. And um, when that starts, now what's going to start the 70th week? Go back there and look in in Daniel. Let's keep going in Daniel chapter 9. And, uh, okay, then look, look at verse um, 27, which is where, where I stopped. It said, then he shall confirm. So after desolations are determined, <laughs> the Lord has, what about four or five words there that described the whole Gentile, the whole church age, you know. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. There's Daniel's 70th week right there. All right. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. Oh, sacrifice. What's that all about? Well, it means that the Jews, by the time we get into Daniel's 70th week, will have rebuilt some sort of temple. So Israel, you know, uh, by the time we meet, get to the middle of the 70th week, we don't really know when it's built. It could be built actually into the 70th week. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But we do know that the temple will be, some sort of temple will be rebuilt. Now, we all know what's considered the Temple Mount in Israel. We know what sits there, right? Dome of the Rock, that big gold mosque. But actually, the best Bible scholars feel like the real side of the temple is maybe 100 yards, I think, northwest or something up there. So, you know, the Jewish people could easily rebuild a temple uh, through some peace plan there. You know, that was close to the Dome of the Rock, but not, I don't, I, I'll be honest with you, I personally don't feel the Dome of the Rock's ever going to get torn down. <laughs> I just don't think that's going to happen. But I could easily see a temple being built very near to that. And, or who knows, they, they could even, they could even in their, uh, desire to please God, set up something like David's Tabernacle. But the Bible keeps using the word temple, so I'm, I would tend to lean more toward a, some sort of, of physical structure. You know, and, uh, so the whole idea of, but still, I wouldn't say necessarily that, that the temple has to be rebuilt before we enter into Daniel's 70th week. But here's what starts the week. Take a look at verse 27 again. He shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. So what kicks off Daniel's 70th week? Some sort of a peace treaty with a world ruler, which is this king, which is going to be Antichrist, except we don't, the world won't know it at that point. Because he really doesn't reveal his true colors until the middle of the week. Take a look a little bit further down there in that verse. In the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. So he's got this covenant with him. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of Daniel's 70th week, he breaks the covenant. He ends sacrifice. And then we're going to real, there's a lot in the book of Revelation of what's going to happen then. And it's, it's really pretty wild. <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty awesome, you know. And so, uh, so anyway, uh, Daniel's 70th week. Now, let me say a couple things here. Let's go back to my list here. Antichrist, we're going we're gonna to talk about who he is. Now, the tribulation and the great tribulation. There's places in end time prophecy where it uses the word tribulation, 
Then there's some places where it uses the word great tribulation. But let me establish something right now. This is so important. There is absolutely no place, and people will say this all the time. Christians will say this all the time. But there is absolutely no place in the Bible where Daniel's 70th week is ever, ever equated with the word great tribulation or tribulation. It's just not. They're two different animals. But yet a lot of times everybody thinks of... Now, I will say this. Daniel's 70th week is no question. It's a time of stress, okay? And it talks about people having tribulation during that time. But there's no place it defi- that the Bible defines Daniel's 70th week as being the tribulation or the great tribulation. It just doesn't do it. They're two totally different animals. In fact, just let me show you one verse real quick. Turn to Matthew chapter 24. i got to get going here so I can get into the revelation. <laughs> but it is important to have this as a foundation. Look at Matthew 24 real quickly. And look at verse 21. And it says, For then there will be great tribulation. There will be. There will be. Great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened. Everybody say shortened. All right. Now, is Daniel's 70th week going to be shortened? Uh Uh-uh. It is prophetically going to happen to the minute. It is going to be seven years from the time of that covenant till the end of Daniel's 70th week, no matter how you cut it. Just like it was 483 years to the first coming from the time of that decree when Jesus, uh, not to his first coming, but to his uh, death on the cross. So Dan- the Daniel's 70th week is not going to be shortened. But, and we'll get into this more as we move on, but I just want you to see the difference. The time of tribulation will be shortened. And I'll show you why. And I'll show you what will happen. All right. So I, I just want to get those two things separate in your mind. Daniel's 70th week is not the tribulation. Daniel's 70th week is Daniel's 70th week. And the tribulation is the tribulation. And the two are not identical. Okay. Now, there will be tribulation during Daniel's 70th week. Absolutely. But when the Bible uses the term the great tribulation, or actually when it talks about Israel, calls it Jacob's trouble, it is not identical. It is not synonymous with Daniel's 70th week. So... Get those things separate in your mind, all right? The rapture, we, that's, oh, that's probably the biggest deal in all of Christendom is when it's going to happen. We're going to see right when it happens. It's right in the book of Revelation. It's right there. It's, it's not rocket science, okay? It's right there. It's not hard, not hard to see. And uh, all right, the battle of Armageddon, we're going to talk about that. What's the, what, what is that all about? The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, that's a very interesting phrase, and it's used all the way through the Old Testament in multiple places, and it's also used in the New Testament. And we're going to talk about what really, again, the day of the Lord is not equivalent to Daniel's 70th week. The day of the Lord happens toward the end of Daniel's 70th week, but it is not the same as Daniel's 70th week. It's a specific event that includes several things, and we'll see what that's all about. All right, and then the second coming. Uh, the second coming is not the same as the day of the Lord. All right, they they include some different things, and uh, we'll be we'll we'll be looking at this. And also, as we go through the scriptures, you got to understand there's different streams of people. You have, as you look at some, some scriptures, will talk about what's happening to Israel. Some scriptures will talk about what's happening in the church. Some scriptures will talk about what's happening on earth. Some scriptures will ha- will talk about what's happening to lost mankind. So you have to look at 
what group of people, too, is being referred to in each of the Scriptures. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it'll come together. But uh, it, it, this is, how many of you know this is not a light topic? <laughs> you know, it's not a light topic. And a lot of people feel the book of Revelation is the hardest book in the entire Bible. But if we really look at, like, for instance, what Proverbs says, it says, you know, that, that God's Word is just a beautiful, it's like, it's like gold. And it says if you search for hidden treasure, if you search for it like gold, you'll find it. So we, we can't expect just to have a little casual relationship with God and never seek Him or never seek to understand His Word and expect to just know what it's all about, you know. Some people kind of just want to chart and then they want to go on their merry way. That's not going to do it, you know. Again, the study of prophecy is more than just a chart. It's about really having a relationship with God where you're in the right place at the right time and you're really serving Him. Amen? All right, so, all right, now, some major passages to study along with the book of Revelation are the book of Daniel. We've read some of that tonight, Matthew 24 and 25, and then also First and Second Thessalonians. All right, now, I, wanna, I want to uh, jump, if we can, let's jump to Revelation. And so that's just, and I'll, I'll, I'll be giving you a little more of this foundational stuff as we go on. But uh, I just wanted to give you a, a little more there tonight to help build a foundation as we continue to uh, dig into the book. Now, we're going to pick it up in chapter 4, which is where we left off. I encourage you to study those seven churches. There's great things to learn there prophetically about uh, pleasing the Lord, being a church. Uh, all good church leaders, I think, should study those because it helps us be a church that pleases God in the last days. All right, pick it up. Uh, Revelation chapter 4 here now. He, the, the Lord just got through addressing the seven churches, and we pick it up in chapter 4, verse 1. It says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. So, the churches actually were literal churches. And uh, so now he's looking into things in the future, things that are going to take place uh, after uh, his time. All right? And so it really becomes very prophetic from this chapter on. Now, let me say this. Some, and I don't know how to, I don't know how to say this nicely, but I just, I, I just need to kind of jump into it a little bit. But there, you know, we talked about, and I'll touch just on a few of the rapture theories. There is, there is the pre-trib theory. There is the mid-trib theory. <laughs> there is the post-trib theory. There is the pan-trib where it's all going to pan out in the end. <laughs> I, I mean, that's funny, you know, but I don't think it's good because I don't think God would have given us His Word if He didn't want us to know something. Amen? All right. So, anyway, um, I think all of these... Uh, there is uh, sometimes they have certain elements of truth, but they all none none of these theories I don't believe are exactly um, what the scriptures teach. Okay, uh, and uh, we'll see as we as we get into this, we'll, we'll really see. Are, are we going to get out of here before the very end? Yes. Um, are we going to have to walk through a few things before we get out of here? Yes. <laughs> so, and actually, I'll be honest with you that there is. Related to Daniel's 70th week, we don't know exactly when the rapture will be. It's going to be during Daniel's 70th week. We have a little bit. We, we can place it um, in one specific thing, but, but try to put a time frame on it like the middle of the week. No, you can't do that. And I'll show you why and how. 
But um, this is what gets argued about so much in Christendom. And let me just say this. As God has begun, you take the early church in the book of Acts, and if you go back to the early, and I don't have time to do that in this class, but uh, if you go back to the early church fathers, they didn't define any of this. Here's what they defined. They defined that Jesus was coming back again. They defined that the church would be in, in a time of testing and trial right before he came back. They defined that there would be an Antichrist on the scene. They, they said things like, you've got to be faithful to the end. And, and they said, Jesus is coming back, and that's all they said. But basically, one thing the early church never held to was, for instance, defining some rapture in the middle of Daniel's 70th week. You just don't find that in any of the church fathers, anywhere. And another thing, you, I mean, the closest thing they come to is post-trib, but actually, I think what's happening now, you got to remember, they, they, those guys lived 2,000 years ago. And I think what's happening now is we're getting, it's really not quite post-trib. We're, we're going to, we're going to, and, and probably, you know, some of the early church fathers' writings, we only have so much of them. So we don't know what every single one of them taught. But they were closer to this, but, but really the rapture happens before the end, you know. But it's really part of the, uh, part of the second coming. But nowhere did the early church father, and they definitely did not define it here. This theory didn't come until the 1830s. And uh, basically, I'll be honest with you right now, there are many denominations that hold to that theory. You know, uh, the Baptists do. The Assembly of God group does. Others do. But there is starting to be a shift. It's kind of like, let me share it with you this way. It's like when the early church was born in the book of Acts, we know there was a lot of power, a lot of glory. The church was honoring God. And like I said, the early church fathers just at that time, they just taught Jesus is coming. We're going to get tested some before he comes. Be faithful. You'll be ready. You know, that's about all they taught. And um, uh, we'll see some things that Paul taught to the uh, Thessalonians. But anyway, over the years, also, the church kind of slid back in some areas. We know that when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses, just all he restored was the fact that you that you were saved by faith through grace. I mean, that's pretty basic for us, isn't it? You know, and then a little bit later, the Wesley brothers came along and they started talking about sanctification. You could actually live holy. You know, that was a new revelation. You could actually live holy. Then in 1900, we had the Azusa Street Revival. And for the first time in hundreds, literally thousands of years, it began to be common teaching that the church needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we see that spreading all over the earth today. Well, I believe one of the things God is restoring today is also a better understanding of what's really going to happen in the end times. And so guess what? People had to let go of all that corrupt stuff when Martin Luther came along. Also, people had to say, yeah, Jesus can help me live holy. When the Wesley brothers came along, when the baptism of the Holy Spirit came along, people had to let go of their preconceived ideas and say, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you today, people are going to have to let go of any preconceived idea that doesn't fit with God's Word on the end times. I don't care what it is or who it is. You know, and so I just had to say that because I'm just I'm going to teach it to you kind of the way I see it, you know, but you guys can decide on your own. But anyway, back to this pre-trib thing. Sometimes it's said that chapter four, verse one is the rapture because a door was opened in heaven and a voice said, come up here. Well, let's go back to taking the scripture. Literally, the only person I see being told to come up here is John. It's John who's being said, come up here so I can show you some more. I don't see anything in there about the church. We gotta quit reading stuff into scripture and, and, you know, 
the, the coming of Christ does involve a very wide variety of things, and, it, and, and there is a rapture. And, and you know, we're, we're, and the Bible's very clear we're not appointed to wrath, and we'll see. You're not going to be around when the, when the vials are poured out. You know, but <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. You will go into Daniel's 70th week. You will, whether you like it or not. All right? Now, let me just give you one scripture. This, this, and then I got to keep going into Revelation. I really, but I, it's, you know, it's like I said, I just got to kind of lay a little foundation here. All right. Look at, look at, um, Second Thessalonians chapter two. To me, this is one of the clearest scriptures in the whole New Testament about understanding the timing of the rapture. Second Thessalonians chapter two says, now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him. Can't get much clearer than that, can you? Okay? We ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. You know, you've seen all the movies about... I've watched them. I kind of get a kick out of them too, you know. And you know, seen all the movies about, about people being raptured out of here and, and you know, then, then the ones that are left, they go, oh, where'd they go, you know? And well, it's really not going to happen quite that way. That's just not, not really the picture, you know. Now, um, there will be some people caught unawares, but the picture is going to be just a little different than that, you know. And so these guys here in the Thessalonians were worried that the day of the Lord had come. You know, or they, they were, they were worried or, or they were, they were worried it had already happened or they had missed it. There was a secret rapture or something or, or, or that it could happen any second. You know, by the way, that, that it can happen any second is called the doctrine of imminency. And I, uh, I, uh, told you a little bit about that last time. But listen, here is the bottom line. That is really, <laughs> if you have to, if you're going to believe this, you have to believe there's literally nothing else to be fulfilled prophetically before you can leave. And that's not what the Scripture teaches. We'll see here in just a second. There is some things that have to be fulfilled before we can leave. First of all, I think it would be embarrassing to the Lord. He said He's coming back for a bride without spot or blemish or wrinkle. How many really think the church is in that condition right now? Now, let me ask you, be honest now. How many of you think the church is going to get in that condition just because God says you should? (laughs) Probably not, right? Probably not. It's probably going to take, you know, it's like, when do you really do your best in school? When it's time for the test. <laughs> Until that time, what do you do? Hey, man, let's go out, let's go out and get a Dairy Queen. You know, the test ain't for three weeks. <laughs> so, you know, I'm just telling you, it's going to, it's going to, the Lord's going to, you know, he's going to get us in shape. You don't have to be afraid of it, but it's a challenging thing, you know, because spiritually, it forces us to be the people we should be. All right, now, then he goes on here and he says, so they were worried that the day of Christ had actually already come, or I guess they could have been worried possibly that it would happen any second. But anyway, they didn't know what to expect. But Paul said, you know, don't let anybody deceive you about it. Now, look what he says in verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless, everybody say unless, unless the falling away comes first, and uh, different Bible scholars have different thoughts on that. Some people feel like that's the compromising church falling away, and that's probably true. Also, some feel it's like um, the Jews uh, not honoring their Savior. That could have some truth, too. 
Maybe it's both. But here's the key thing I want you to see. Unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? So what was he doing? He was teaching the book of Daniel. So what he was teaching. So in other words, when it comes to Daniel's 70th week, we are going to go into Daniel's 70th week. We are also going to still be here at the middle of Daniel's 70th week because that's when he desecrates a temple. So I feel I've broken somebody's bubble already tonight. <laughs> well, listen, it's just what the Scripture said. Now, does that mean you need to be afraid of it? No. How many of you know if you have God on your side and you're right with Him, you never be afraid of anything? You know, so nothing to be afraid of, but it is rather motivational. <laughs> you know, hey, I know when I went to engineering school, you know, I mean, I know when I studied. I studied when the test was coming. <laughs> so anyway, it's just to me, that is one of the clearest scriptures. It goes on and says some other things. But Paul says it very clearly there. You know, and, and, and when you start trying to make some secret rapture theory way here at the beginning of the 70th week, and then it's seven years after that before Jesus returns, I'm telling you, listen to me, that is twisting the Scripture. What is Paul trying to tell him here? He said, look at, relax, you are here until, well, maybe you shouldn't relax, but, but nevertheless, you are here <laughs> until Antichrist is revealed. And I'll tell you what, I, I just believe, I believe God is, is, is uh, you know, just the kind of guy who says, hey, devil, my church can stand up to you. You know, I don't need to pull them out of here when they're still a wreck. They can stand up to you. They can manifest my power. They can manifest my glory. They can show that God is greater than the devil. You know, I mean, hey, I don't run from a good fight, right? I don't think God does either. So anyway, I didn't really plan on getting into all that tonight. I was going to save some of that for next week. But uh, you can tell I am passionate about it. So, <laughs> no, no. All right, come on. Turn back to Revelation real quickly. And uh, let's pick up a little more of this. So suffice it to say, I don't think verse 1 is the rapture. I think verse 1 is John being called up to heaven to get a really good perspective on what's going to happen. God is taking him up into the throne room. So he can really see things from God's point of view. And in verse 2, he says, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. I mean, you just get this awesome sense of, of what the throne room is like. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. Um, I don't have a lot of time to spend on that, but the 24 elders probably comes out of First Chronicles 24. If you want to write that down, there was 24 courses of the priesthood. This probably represents redeemed Israel up to this point. Okay? First Chronicles 24. 
Those elders sitting around the throne are probably, you know, it might have been Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the midst of there. We don't know, you know, but it probably represents redeemed Israel because this is the beginning of the new covenant. All right, we're just getting into the church age just now. And, uh, you know, so uh, some people think they're representative of the 12 apostles and the 12 patriarchs. Uh, That's a possibility, too. Obviously, they're representative of, of some kind of redeemed humanity. All right. Clothed in white robes, they, they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne, I, I, I love this action, man. You talk about action. Look at this. From the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Remember we said in chapter 1, 7 is a number of completeness. So it means the fullness of the spirit of God. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and back. That means they're all, they see everything, you know. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. The fourth living creature was uh, like a flying eagle. Again, different people feel there's different symbolism in that. Uh, even almost kind of like the four Gospels, the lion being Matthew's Gospel, seeing Jesus as king, the calf being Mark's Gospel, seeing Jesus as a servant, Luke, uh, the man being Luke's Gospel, he was the son of man. He came and identified with you and me. And then John's Gospel, you see the heavenly Savior, a lot of heavenliness in John's Gospel. So the whole idea of the eagle and uh, uh, the work of the Spirit. But whatever, they're representative of the character of God. And um, it says the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. A pretty wild-looking creature, isn't it? You know, again, it, it, it's a picture here of angelic beings, you know. And, uh, and they do, do not rest day or night saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Do you get the idea there that we should live holy? <laughs> I think so. You know, I think so. And uh, if you a reference you could put down there, these are seraphim. Isaiah chapter 6, it defines them as, they have six wings, and it defines them as seraphim. Cherubim had four wings. So seraphim and cherubim, uh, they're not, actually, Lucifer was called the anointed cherub. So Satan was originally a cherub. Uh, so I don't think there's any hierarchical authority necessarily between cherubim and seraphim. Somehow Lucifer was a very high cherub. And, you know, again, the Bible doesn't give us all kinds of details and insight on that. But the, if you look at Isaiah chapter 6, that's the story of where, where they where they, uh, took a coal off the altar and Isaiah's lips were cleansed, you know, and they were saying, holy, holy, holy. Those are seraphim defined in Isaiah 6. So these are seraphim here around the throne. And it says, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. How many of you know ultimately it's all about God? It's not about us. Everything we have just comes as a grace gift and a work of His Spirit in us. We can't take any credit. You know, it's all by grace. It's all by faith. It's all by the work of His Spirit. And so it's all about God. He's the one that we should give glory to. And uh, that was 
Lucifer's problem. You know, he just just got out of that whole thing. All right, now, chapter 5. Let's pick up just a few more things here. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll. Everybody say a scroll. Okay, written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. You get the sense that Christianity is not just mamby-pamby. Strong angel, loud voice. You know, God is going to deal with the devil. All right, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. Now, what the scroll is, the scroll is a picture of wrapping up human history and restoring the rule of God to the earth. Restoring Israel, kicking out the devil, and bringing in the kingdom of God on earth. And it's a who's worthy? Who can do it? You know, well, obviously, no angel could do it. Obviously, you and I can do it. And so look what John did. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. John was weeping because he didn't want the earth to stay like it is. He didn't want the screwed up mess and the evil and everything you read about in the world. He didn't want it to stay like it is. No, he wanted Jesus to restore his kingdom, you know. And so he's he's weeping, you know. And uh, no one was found worthy. And then verse 5, But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold. Oh, this is good, isn't it? Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. How many of you know when Jesus died on the cross, he won the victory? And he proved it by rising from the dead. So he prevailed. I love that. And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. Now, isn't that interesting? Switch from a lion to a lamb. Now, why did he do that? Because it was as a lamb that he won the victory. Now, he's coming back as a lion, but it was as a lamb. It was when he gave his life for you and me. That's when the victory was really won. Okay, a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes. Seven horns, again, number of completion. Horn is, is, is authority, picture of complete authority. Seven eyes, he sees everything, he knows everything. Which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Again, the fullness of the Spirit of God sent out into all the earth. So, Jesus is in heaven, seated there with the Father. Who's down here doing the work of God right now? The Holy Spirit. And so, uh, then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Well, I love, watch this now, I love this. Each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now, here's one thing I want to say to you about prophecy. Just because we know what prophecy says doesn't mean we're going to automatically experience it or be in the right place. Come on, folks. How many of you know and related to our families and our churches, we got to do a little thing called pray. <laughs> pray. It's not automatic. You know, again, prophecy is not just the chart. Prophecy is helping us to know and understand what God wants to do and then hooking up with Him. You know, so he can use this. And so, so I tell you, one of the things I believe that we're going to see more and more of in the end times is churches really learning how to pray. How to pray with authority. How to pray in intercession. Because God, mysteriously, I don't fully understand it, but God has ordained this thing called prayer in our relationship with him to hook up with him where he can work in us and through us. Okay? So I love that. You know, prayer is very important 
when we talk about prophecy. The two go together, two Ps. All right, and they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, and you were, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Boy, there's the gospel right there. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. How many of you know God loves every color, every ethnicity, every nation? I want us to be a multiple language, multiple country, a multiple uh, nationality, multiple ethnicity church. Right, Nate? Amen. I'll tell you what. So if they're anywhere within 100 miles of us, I want to get them to victory. All right. Praise God. Because you know what? That's the way God is. He builds us in unity and, and builds us together as people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And I love verse 10. This is awesome. And have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Whoo! Glory to God. How many? Of you, I love what Brian Houston said. The best is yet to come. There'll be a few tests and trials in the meantime, but I'm telling you, we're going to rule and reign with Christ. Awesome. All right, verse 11. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000. Now, just for y'all, you mathematicians, that's 100 million. That's 100 million. Now, watch this. And thousands of thousands a thousand thousand is a million so he says there's a hundred million around the throne and millions more <laughs> how many of you know there's a bunch of angels and a bunch of saved people <laughs> that's good isn't it and by the way just so you know when satan rebelled he only took one-third of the angels with him that means there's still two-thirds with us so that's a pretty good deal there's that story in the Old Testament. I forget where it is. It's Elijah or Elisha or something like that. He said, Lord, open his eyes. This one guy was all afraid. He said, Lord, open his eyes that he can see there's more with us than are with the enemy. So anyway, millions. And what are they singing? They're saying with a loud voice. Circle that word loud. You know, I like that word. <laughs> Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. How many of you know Jesus owns it all? He has it all. He's, he's not, a, not a weak God. or you know, he, he has it all, and He does share it with us. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth... and under, Now, this is prophetic here. Watch this. Every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. It said all of them were saying that. That's prophetic because that had not happened yet. And it still hasn't happened. But you know what my Bible says? Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of the Father. So... They'll all end, everybody, all, all creation will end up saying it, you know, whether they've lived it or not, they'll have to admit it. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. How many of you know it's okay to say Amen when, when I'm preaching? <laughs> it's right there in the Bible, okay? So, and you know what Amen means, so be it. It means, yeah, that's right. Okay, and the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. So basically, chapter 5 just glorifies Jesus and says, He's worthy and He's going to open the scroll. And I'm out of time. <laughs> All right, I'm going to give you one more little sneak preview here. A little more sneak, just, just one or two more verses. All right, now, chapter 6, verse, Now I saw when the... And by the way, take a look there in your notes. There is a picture of that scroll. 
This is an actual artist's rendition of a, of a Jewish scroll. I want you to notice something. The seals are all on the outside. So in other words, before what's inside the scroll can be released to take place, all the seals have to be broken. Now, what is inside the scroll? Well, what's inside the scroll is the trumpets and the vials, and it's the final judgment of God, the final purging of the earth, the ending of Antichrist, and the bringing in of Christ to rule and reign on planet earth. That's why John was weeping when nobody could bring it to pass. <laughs> but the seven seals have to all be broken, and each one of them represents something here. We're going to see. I won't do all seven tonight, don't worry. Uh, they all represent something that is going to happen before the scroll is finally open, and then it's opened, and then... And then, really, a lot of things break loose and, and uh, awesome things happen. But I just want you to see, let's talk about just the first seal, and then we'll pick it up next week. Now, I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say, John is seeing all this from up in heaven, one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, boy, you just feel the strength of this book, don't you? Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Now, one of the things we're going to see, too, is that these seals, in fact, you can do this this week if you'll read the, uh, Matthew chapter 24. We're going to see that, see that every one of these things in these seals parallels Jesus' description of the last days in Matthew 24, which makes sense because Jesus is the author of both books, isn't he? And so you would expect some harmony, you know? And so this first seal is a conquering white horse. And um, a lot of people think, well, that must be Christ. No, he, it's a white horse, which just signifies conquering, but this is not a good conquering. Okay, None of these seals are good. None of them. When Je Jesus' conquering comes in chapter 19. So this is not a good conquering. So what is it? It's probably, this seal right here is probably when Antichrist comes on the scene. He goes forth conquering and to conquer. And when does he really, what's his first move? We'll talk more about this next week. His first move is in Daniel's 70th week to make a covenant right here with Israel. That's his first move to establishing his conquering evil power over the earth. So here's the thing. 69 weeks of Daniel's prophecy have already happened. What is left to happen? Daniel's 70th week. Guess what the whole book of Revelation is concerned with? Daniel's 70th week. That's what it's all about. That's what we're waiting for. Is that last week to be fulfilled? I mean, in the meantime, we've gotten saved. Praise God. God's touched a lot of Gentiles. Praise God. The church has been formed. Praise God. But the fullness of the kingdom doesn't come with just the church. God's got a work to do in Israel. There's going to be a lot of Jewish people saved. And so what kicks off Daniel's 70th week, that one week that hasn't happened yet, what kicks it off? The covenant. And so not only are I read you what has to happen in 2 Thessalonians, but what's really one of the next things we can look for that's going to happen? And we'll talk more about it next time but because I'll read you a little bit more out of Daniel. But there's going to be a leader come out. And, and, of course, if you look at the kingdom, you know, this was Rome. So we know it's coming from Europe. There is going to be a leader come forth in Europe. And he's going to take a position. And he's going to have gained some power. And he's going to have enough strength and enough authority 
to make a covenant with Israel to grant them peace. But the problem is, it's a false peace. It's not a peace where they've turned to their God. It's a false peace where Israel, once again, instead of looking to God, is looking to man. God got on their case so much for, for trusting in Egypt and things like that. And here they go again, you know. Instead of seeking God, they're trusting in a man. And that's, it's going to be a false covenant. It's going to look really good at first. It's going to look really great. But that, that first seal, I believe, is when Antichrist rides that horse and he begins to take power over in Europe. And that's when he makes that covenant. And we'll see a little bit more of that. Um, so that, you want to know kind of what to look for on the horizon? <laughs> that is definitely one thing that you can look for. And I, you know what? I don't think it's going to be in secret. I mean, I, I don't see anywhere where the Bible says it's going to be in secret. I believe, I believe the whole world will see it. I mean, can Israel do anything without being in the news? <laughs> so I believe it's going to be in the news, but here's the deal. It's just only Christians that are walking in the Spirit are going to know what's happening. There's going to be many people that think it's going to be the greatest thing since mom and apple pie. That, oh, yeah, peace. Isn't that what, it's, what Paul said? Would they say peace and safety? And then swift destruction comes upon them. So it's going to look good to people that don't know God. But there's going to be a hidden demonic man inside that guy who makes a covenant with Israel, and that is the first seal that's opened. There's six more to go <laughs> before we can open the scroll and bring it all to a close. So I don't know about you guys, but I'd be looking for that first seal. Amen? And it could easily happen. I'm telling you, it, it could come together. I mean, things could, things could get crazy with the Muslim world and everything else that's going on. And, uh, the, I mean, guys, just think, just think how much the world has changed in the last five years. Think, I mean, 2001 was only five years ago. Think what life was like pre-2001. How different is it now in five years? What could the next five hold? <laughs> you know? So, the bottom line is, folks, this stuff is going to happen. <laughs> we need to be ready. Yeah, Timmy. Well, here's the thing. The temple could be built. Here's the midpoint where he stops the sacrifice. Okay? So, the temple could be built either here, but it also could be built inside the 70th week. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. There's not a scripture I know of anywhere that tells us when the... So a lot of people that think we have to wait for the temple to be rebuilt before we can enter Daniel's 70th week, they could be wrong. That could be something we're looking to happen that won't happen until after we're already in Daniel's 70th week. And uh, so we just, we just don't know, you know. Uh, it depends on how big it is, how long it takes to build it. It could easily be started out here, but we just don't know. You know, we just don't... We just don't know. I mean, it could be that it takes Antichrist's covenant to give them the freedom to actually build the temple because the Muslims would not be real happy about it right now. But if they knew somebody was looking over their shoulder that could blow them to smithereens, they might just let them. <laughs> yeah, I, I have heard reports that they're working on things behind the scenes and underground and all that. You know, it's kind of like a National Enquirer. You never really know what's true. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, oh, hallelujah, it gets exciting, doesn't it? Isn't it nice to know the Word of God is true, you know? And you can go by it. All right. 
Well, I went long. I was six minutes over. <laughs> I'm 14 over this time. So, but you know, this book can get you going. So, all right. Thank you, Lord Father, for this night. We pray, Lord, you'd seal to our hearts, Lord, by your spirit, um, the things you're teaching us and, and showing us, Lord. I do believe you're opening up some things for your people in these days that we can be strong and be the church you want us to be. So I pray you bless my brothers and sisters tonight. Give them a safe trip home. In Jesus' name, amen.